This is Group Link, and it's happening next Sunday, February the 5th. And so I want to encourage you to take a screenshot of this or maybe just jot down the link where you can register, which is newcity.us slash grouplink. We've got dinner, we've got childcare, um, kind of everything covered for you to be there. And you'll have a chance uh, to find people in community, groups that are open and waiting for you to join. We've got men's groups, women's groups, couples groups, mixed groups, groups that meet all across the city every day of the week. And we'd love to get you connected into a circle here of community and growth and discipleship. So if you're looking to take the next step into a circle, if you've been coming to New City and you're looking for a place to, to jump in and meet new people and grow together, I wanna to invite you to, to Group Link next Sunday night from five to 7 p.m. and you can register again at the link provided there. If you're able, would you stand to your feet and we'll give attention to our scripture today as we continue our series. So we're gonna go a little old school today, back to the KJV, okay? This is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul writing to his spiritual son, Timothy. And he says these words, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. We're continuing in our series, Train Station. If you're joining us for the first time, it's a series about the power of our thoughts and what God has to say about this incredible gift that he gave to us, our brain, and the ability to be able to think. And so I'll talk a little bit further about the metaphor of a train station and kind of what we're using that for. But I wanna uh, just uh, make mention that we have a study guide and ways to follow along on our app and website if you wanna go further with your family or in a group um, to do so and encourage you to come back for the next two messages as we finish the series together. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the power of a train engine, you know, what is actually driving and pulling our train of thought. But just to say about this, uh, what God says about our thoughts, which might be surprising to you, uh, all the many passages in the scriptures about our mind, about the ability to be able to think. Um, this isn't just the power of positive thinking. In fact, it's not that at all. It's meeting God and understanding that discipleship, the process of becoming like Jesus, if he were living your life, we learned that definition last week, if he were going to work where you're going tomorrow, if he were in your family, if he were in your marriage and your situation in life, how would Jesus show up? And the process of becoming more like Jesus in your life is the process of discipleship. And we learned last week that that begins in your mind. God said, you know, let me transform you in the way that you think, because the power of your thought uh, is, doesn't just stay within, within uh, your, your two ears. It becomes words, it becomes actions, it becomes habits, it becomes a lifestyle, and ultimately your thoughts lead you to a destination, and God has something to say about that. And I just wanna say, especially in your struggles, in your difficulties, in your confusion, um, when things aren't going right, how do we glorify God? And how do we use our thoughts and direct them in the way that God wants us to? You don't need to raise your hand, but any of you show up in the room this morning or watching online right now and you go, life is not going the way I thought it would. There's something in my life that's just off. 
whether it's relationally or in your business or something that you're facing this week, it's off. And, and, and how do I connect my thoughts to the thoughts of God and glorify God in my thoughts? And I just want to say, you know, one of the books of the Bible where we see this evidence of someone who's really struggling, who's going through difficulty, just like you might be today and whatever the circumstance or situation is, but chooses um, to glorify God and to look to God for their thoughts and directing their thoughts that way. One of the books that really encapsulates this is the Psalms. In fact, if you think about it, uh, you know, David wrote most of the Psalms. And if David wasn't struggling, if David didn't experience anxiety, if David wasn't depressed in moments, if David wasn't facing very, very difficult things, we probably would never have the Psalms. But, but David, in the midst of all that, chose to direct his thoughts back to God, to take them captive and continue to teach them to obey God. And one of those Psalms is Psalm 134. Uh, in verse 19, he says, or Psalm 139, verse 14, uh, David writes this, in the midst of a lot of difficulty, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. And just pay attention to those last couple words, I know that full well. And you just hear David reminding himself and his thoughts of what is true and focusing his thoughts on, on uh, the fact that God made him and, and because of that, he carries the dignity of God, the image of God. And he's reminding himself that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, even in the midst of my brokenness. And I know these truths and I'm gonna direct my thoughts that way. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who I introduced last week in some of her writings, she's a cognitive neuroscientist and also a passionate follower of Jesus. And she sees her work in understanding how the mind works and, and specifically our physical brains as a part of understanding how God fearfully and wonderfully made us and how we can glorify God with our thoughts. And she said this, she said, the process of thinking and choosing is the most powerful thing in the universe after the very power of God. It is a phenomenal gift to be treasured and used properly. That's the power of our thinking and glorifying God, choosing to glorify God and remember truth and directing our thoughts. The ability to have volition, to have will, to be able to direct our thoughts. Now, we're, we're coming to understand so much more about neuroscience and how our brains actually work. But what science can't answer is why we think the thoughts that we do. We understand more about how the brain processes. We learned last week about neuropathways and these proteins that are born every morning and how our thoughts actually create matter and pathways and train tracks in our brain. But what science can't answer is, why do I think the way that I do? And, and, and how do I make choices to either glorify God or not glorify God with my thoughts? Dr. Leaf reminds us that the, the gift of choice and thinking and cognition is the most powerful thing in the universe next to God. And we know that because we were made in his image. God made us like himself with the ability to think and create and reason. And it's a gift to be stewarded. So many of us as Christians, especially, we don't believe that. And we have weak brains, weak minds in our thinking because we think that we're not in control of it. But Dr. Leaf says, no, you do have volition. There is the ability to be able to think and reason and direct your thoughts. And so in this series, again, if you're just joining us, we talked about the metaphor of a train station being your brain and the idea that all of these trains, I think you would agree with me, are constantly coming into your brain and departing your brain every single day. We've learned that we think somewhere between 50 to 70,000 individual thoughts a day. 
one for every 1.9 seconds. You'll think well, well over, you'll think thousands of thoughts during this message, right? And every single one of them coming into your train station and departing your train station. And Paul says, right, that we've got to take these thoughts captive and we've got to teach them to obey Jesus, right? And he says, moreover, that we've got to destroy every sense of knowledge or thinking that comes against the knowledge of God, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who you are, who he made you to be, and the truth about other people. And so the brain is this powerful train station. It's Grand Central Station, if you will. And God's given us the ability, once the train comes in the station, to be able to take it captive and make it obey Jesus. And that's a tremendous part of discipleship. And the second message, we talked about train wrecks. Do you remember this? You can go back and listen to these. And we talked about specifically avoiding train wrecks. Because again, your train of thought, it's not just a thought that stays within your brain, it becomes a stored memory or an emotion, it becomes a feeling, it becomes a word, it becomes an action, a repeated action, a habit, a lifestyle, and eventually it's taking you someplace. If you think about your life right now and you trace it all the way back, for many of you, you could trace it back to a singular thought that came into your train station and what you chose to do with that thought whether to attach yourself to it and ride it out or whether to say, absolutely not, I'm gonna destroy that argument. I'm gonna take it captive and I'm gonna make that thought obey Jesus. We learned about train tracks last week when we talked about these neuropathways that we're learning now that actually our thoughts become these protein chains that create pathways or to use our metaphor, train tracks so that our thoughts can more easily go down those tracks over and over and over again. So you think about that person in your life where you go, man, they're just negative all the time. They're always just hopeless. They're always disappointed. They're always whatever. Well, there might be several things going on that cause that. But part of what's going on physiologically is that it's creating a pathway in their brain. So it's that much easier to be negative the next time. You're laying down train tracks with every one of those thoughts. And Dr. Leaf says, if you knew the destruction of a lie or a negative thought, you know, coming into your train station and riding that train, if you knew the power of that, you'd never allow that to, to, to take resonance in your brain again. It destroys you. And we learned about that, that even your working memory, we're, we're learning more and more that what a lie does to your working memory, where you can't remember truth and lies anymore. It begins to destroy your brain. And so the, the power of train tracks, that it's not just an individual thought, but it's the thought that comes after that, and again and again and again, and you're laying down these tracks for the future thoughts. And today, we're gonna continue the series again by talking about train engines. And, and what's the, the lead car in your train of thought, so to speak? If, if there's a thought and then there's a memory or a feeling, an action, a word, a, a habit, a lifestyle, a destination, what's leading the way? Well, of course, it's a train engine. And Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy 1.7, if you have that scripture opened, and the power of which train engine, so to speak, you're connecting your thoughts to on a regular basis. And I, I brought a friend with me just to illustrate this morning the power of your thinking in these train engines. Um, you guys remember, you remember this guy? Thomas the Train, this was a, a big deal in, in our house and still is. I asked uh, one of our kids this week, you know, do we still have those train tracks? And Thomas, oh yeah, knew exactly where they were and pulled them all out. So here you go, okay? And, you know, you could look at this and you could, you, you could think, well, they're all valuable. You know, the, this is all one train and, and everybody's equal and everybody's valuable here. In fact, these guys, I was looking for a name and they're just called Express Coach. 
And I felt bad for them that they don't even get a, a, a name. But if you look at the train here, what is the most important car in this little train? I mean, it's Thomas, of course. It's, it's the image, not, or, or, or the engine, not just because it's Thomas and we know his name, but because of what he's doing. Okay, he's in the lead, right? He's got the power, and he's pulling the rest of the train. He's setting the destination, he's setting the pace, everything, right? And so the express coaches might say, well, hey, we're important too, and we're just as valuable, and they, they might try to do, you know, pull the other direction or whatever, but the truth is that the engine is, of course, the most powerful thing. And what Paul presents here in 2 Timothy 1.7 is that there's two distinctive engines that you can attach the rest of your train of thought to. Let's say this express coach uh, represents a feeling. This one is a word. If you think about the, the train extending out, all of these things that make up your life coming and being pulled by this one singular train engine. And so it becomes so very important that you're attaching your thoughts to the right engine, right? And so Paul says, the engine leads the way and the train drives the entire train of thought in your life. And what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, again, it's Paul writing to his spiritual son and he's trying to impart wisdom and truth to him. And he says, you're not, let me change metaphors here. If you remember this one, he says, Timothy, you're not the little engine that could. Do you remember that book? The little engine that could? And what was the little engine that could? His, his mantra. Yeah, I think I can, I think I can, I, I think I can. And Paul says, nope, that's not what the Bible teaches about your thought life. That's not what this is about at all. That's what the world teaches you. That you can just do it on your own, that you're an engine unto yourself. And if you just are good enough and smart enough and you think hard enough, you can pull yourself you know, down the tracks. And, and Paul says, Timothy, you can't. It's not I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's, it's very early in your life realizing I can't, but God can. And I think I'll let him. I can't, God can. I think I'll let him. I wanna glorify God with my thoughts. I want them to be pleasing to him. We learned last week that we can worship God even with our thoughts. And I wanna attach my thoughts to the right engine. I don't wanna live my life saying, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Paul says, no, you've been given a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of a, of a sound mind the ability to think and reason. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, if you're gonna write this reference down, he says, you know, who can know the thoughts of God? Who can teach God? And then he says, but we, this is shocking. He says, but we, he's talking to Christians, those of you who follow Jesus. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. In other words, our thoughts, our volition, our will, our direction is attached to the very mind of Jesus that's pulling our train of thought. That's what we have access to. So it's no longer for Christians, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, and weak-mindedness, no. It's saying I can't, but God can, and I'm gonna let him. And he hasn't given me a spirit of fear, he's given me a spirit of the power and, and love and a sound-mindedness of Jesus himself. Now here's the deal. Your mind and your brain are different. I know we use them interchangeably, but your mind has one foot in the spirit and one foot in the physical. Your brain is the physical, it's the engine, it's the train station, right? 
but the brain or the, the mind is the engine, the brain is the train station, right? Your mind is what's directing and pulling your train of thought. And Paul says the only way for you to glorify God with your thoughts and to have the thoughts of God is to attach your thoughts to the very mind of Jesus. Does that make sense? The mind in the, it, it, it is, the, is the engine, it's, it's directing, it's, it's pulling, and the brain is doing the functioning. That's why science can tell us about all the functioning of the brain, but it can't tell us why we're choosing to think different thoughts, why we're individually focusing on one thing or another. It can't answer that because that, that belongs in the mind realm. It belongs in the spiritual. And so Paul says there's two distinctive trains if you're taking notes here in 2 Timothy 1.7. There's one train and it's called, if you're, if you're you know, a, a visual person, maybe just write, draw out two engines. And on the side of the first engine, if you read the passage is what? It's the spirit of fear. That's one engine, okay? And it's pulling the opposite direction from the engine of Jesus, the second one, which is power and love and a sound mind, the very mind of Jesus. And these two engines, right, are in competition with one, one another. One is wanting to direct you away from glorifying God and, and the things of God and the purposes and the will of God for your life. And the other is pulling you towards. And Paul begins with the first one, this spirit of fear. And I wonder, I just wonder, how many of you in the room this morning, how many of you watching online right now, if you're honest, would say, boy, a lot of my thinking and a lot of my direction in life, my, my words, my, my feelings, my actions, uh, my habits, a lot of them tend to be based in fear. And I just wonder how many of us have attached our, our train cars, our, our words and our actions, our emotions to an engine of fear, an engine that God didn't give to us, an engine that's pulling in the opposite direction of the will of God for our lives. Fear takes me in the opposite direction of where God wants me to go. And so if you're wondering, like, which engine am I attached to right now? What is the main engine that's driving my thoughts, that's pulling those trains out of my train station as they become words and, and actions and feelings and, and, and habits? What does that look like? I think the best way to judge individually which engine you're attached to, whether it's the spirit of fear or of power, love, and a sound mind, the mind of Jesus, is to look at the destination, where it's taking you. Because again, one's taking you away from God and one's taking you towards God. And so the engine of fear is always gonna lead you to self-preservation. It's always gonna be looking out for self, protecting self, making sure that you're okay. Always uh, protecting number one, if you will, the need to look out for myself constantly. And so if you find yourself uh, in your decision-making, um, in your actions, in your words, constantly looking out for you and you're the center of attention, you're at the center of everything, you're probably connected to the engine of fear because the engine of fear says nobody else is gonna look out for you, so you've gotta look out for you. And you've got to preserve yourself. And again, that's the loud story that the world is telling you, that if you don't look out for yourself, nobody else will. Here's the second destination if you're writing these down. First one, self-preservation. The, the, the engine of fear is gonna drive your thoughts that way. The second one is looking inward for direction. So again, it's I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But I've got to dig deep and I've got to pull myself up by my bootstraps and, and just um, fake it till you make it. All these weird mantras that we come up with. 
and we just pull from ourselves and we just think, I gotta, if it is to be, it's up to me, all, all the things, power of positive thinking, and I just gotta look inward and dig deep enough and find a reason to think this way and direct my thoughts. And if that's you, then you're probably connected somewhere along the way to an engine of fear. The third destination is, I just wrote this down, um, it's a broad word, you could use hiding, I put the word covering. The engine of fear always wants to cover. And it's, again, it's connected to self-preservation and looking inward, but it's always wanting to cover. Never let them see you sweat. Always cover, always hide. Think about the first lie, the first train of thought that, that left the train station, um, that, that went awry, that went the opposite direction, Adam and Eve in the garden. What's their first action after the train leaves and they sin and they, they take and eat of the fruit? What do they do? They cover and they hide from God to where God comes in the garden and is walking and says, where, where are you? And I wonder if that's the question for some of you today who are attached to the, the train of fear in your life. You're being directed and led by fear where God is showing up and he's asking you the question, where are you? Where have you gone? The, the, the engine of fear has pulled you so far away from your identity and who God made you to be and you're hiding and you're covering and you're, you're constantly looking out for yourself and, and making sure nobody's coming to, to get you or take anything from you and you're, you gotta look from, in, from within and, and, and gotta find power and strength on your own and it's I think I can and I wonder if this is why in the Bible there are so many fear nots. I don't know this to be true but I read somewhere that there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. I wonder if it's because God knows that when we attach our thinking, our words, our emotions, our actions, our habits to fear, it immediately takes us in the wrong direction. When, when, when did you miss God because you were being led by fear? When can you look back in your life and go, you know what, I wonder if my thoughts were attached not to, to the mind of Christ but to the engine of fear? And Paul says, you haven't been given a spirit of fear. That's not God's gift to you. That's, that's not God's will for you to be directed that way. But I wonder how many of us would say, man, I've got a lot of decisions in my life I look back on. I didn't submit the resume. I, I didn't speak up in a consequential conversation when I was clearly the person in the room to, to represent Jesus and, and to speak grace and, and truth and, and, and love and I didn't say anything because I was afraid I was gonna lose my job or how it would make me look and, and now I look back on that and the, the moment passed by and I never said anything. You know, I was thinking like, I was so afraid to ask this girl out in biology in college who was from South Dakota. And I'd never met anybody from South Dakota, right? And I was fascinated. Um, you know, what is it like? And all the things, and I was so afraid. And I'll tell that story some other time. Jen helped me out with that. But I would have missed the greatest thing in my life, the greatest relationship on this side of heaven because of fear. I wonder how many of you would look back and go, man, I've missed out on so much life because I've been driven by fear. And fear is constantly, guys, it's constantly provoking you with the questions of what if and if only. I look back on my life, and that's, by the way, that's not what this exercise is for when we talk about missing out, and just going, man, I just live in regret if only. If only I'd taken the job, if only I'd spoken up, if only I'd submitted my resume, as if you have that much control over the sovereignty of God and the grace of God for your life. 
And we just live in that of if it is to be, it's up to me and I missed it, I blew it and God can never use me. And that's such a lie. Or we live in what if, what if this happens? What if this person leaves me? What if this person goes, what, what if I lose my job? What, what if, what if, what if? And I'm constantly in a state of fear and it's not what God designed for us. It's not the gift that he gave to us. Fear is never satisfied. Let me let you in on a secret. Fear is insatiable. It's never satisfied. No matter how much you give the engine of fear in your life, fine, I won't apply for the job. Fine, I won't ask them out. Fine, I won't have the conversation. I won't speak up. I won't do that. No matter how much you give to fear, it's never enough. It wants to still kill and destroy everything in your life. It wants to take everything from you. It's a scarcity mentality. I'll never have enough. They'll never be enough. God, God can't be enough. He isn't enough. In fact, fear is at the root of every sin because here's what sin is in every temptation to sin. Every temptation to sin, to fall short of what God has for us is the temptation of fearing that God won't be enough. That if I trust God, if I trust his truth and his way, if I attach my thoughts and my life to his mind and his direction and will for my life, I'm not gonna be ultimately happy. I'll miss out on something. And so all of us, we, we're tempted to withhold from God because we think if we trust God completely, if we attach our thoughts and our lives to the engine of Christ, the mind of Christ, we'll miss out. And God may not be enough. And don't you see, that's the spirit of fear. What if and, and, and if only. Here's the second engine, the first engine. Remember, on the side of the train, if you just wanna write it out or put it on your phone, it's the spirit of fear. Here's the second engine that Paul presents in 2 Timothy 1.7. He says, Timothy, you haven't been given a spirit of fear, but what? But of power and of love and of a sound mind, the ability to reason and think and make godly decisions. And just like the destination of the spirit of fear takes us to self-preservation and looking out for ourselves and, and covering and looking from within to find power, the destination of the mind of Christ takes us somewhere too. And I just wanna cross-reference really quickly of what this could look like. Because of course, Jesus lived this out for us to see what it looks like. And Paul records this in another letter to a church called Philippi. And in 2 um, uh, Philippians, Philippians 2, we see a picture of the destination of the mind of Christ. When we attach our thinking, which ultimately becomes our words and our emotions and our actions and our habits and our destination, our lifestyle, what it could look like. And Paul begins in verse five in Philippians 2, he says, let this mind, let this mind be among you, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. So he's setting the train at the front of the train, you know, the, the, the engine at the front of the train. What's gonna drive all of this behavior, this action, this lifestyle, these words, these habits, this posture? It's the engine of Jesus. It's the mind of Christ that's pulling you towards the will of God. And so Paul says, let the mind of Jesus be among you, those of you who follow Jesus. And it's yours in Christ Jesus. And here's what it looks like. This is so cool. It's not self-preservation. Look at verses six and seven in Philippians two. It's self-denial that Jesus didn't consider himself to be equal with the Father, but he humbled himself, taking on the form of a servant. He left the glory of heaven and his throne to become just like us, to explain himself to us. 
to make himself known. You've heard me say, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God to us. We have the scriptures, we have the community of God, we've got all kinds, of, we've got creation to see who God is and the evidences of God, but the ultimate revelation of God to you and to me is Jesus. And he took on the form of a servant. He became nothing. He humbled himself. He didn't count it to be equal with God. He wasn't competing with the Father. Instead, like he gave up his rights. And so the mind of Christ, the engine drives us with our words and our actions and our thoughts and our our habits away from self-preservation into self-denial. How can I give myself away instead of getting? Okay, so lust, like we think about that in a physical way, but actually lust happens in all realms. And lust is all about what I can get. That's what lust is. What can I get? And love is all about what I can give. For God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave because love always gives. It moves us to a posture of saying, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus came to serve and to not be served, to deny himself, to take up his cross, and it's a model for us. That's where the train of the mind of Christ, the engine is pulling us in that direction. Here's the second thing, just by way of destination. Jesus, look at verse eight. He's not looking to within, if it is to be, it's up to me. I gotta power through, I think I can. You never hear Jesus say, oh, in a tight spot, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, no. Every time Jesus is in a tight spot, Father, Father, he's quoting the scriptures, he's reminding himself of truth, he's looking to the Father, he's looking up and not within. He's not trying to find power and strength within himself, he's looking to the Father, he's saying, I can't, you can, Father, help me. It's your strength, it's your will be done. He's in the garden saying, you know, if there's any other way, Father, if there's any other way, but, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Who's directing his thinking? What's the engine pulling him? It's the will of the Father, not looking within, but looking to the Father, looking upward. And then here's the third thing, just by way of destination. How will you know which, which engine your thoughts are attached to? Is it self-preservation? Is it looking within? Is it covering? Or is it self-denial? Looking up to the Father. And then thirdly, the word here is really honoring. The Father honors Jesus. The Bible says that God will lift us up in due time. We don't have to lift ourselves up. We don't have to bring attention to ourselves and honor ourselves. We live a life of self-denial, of love, and of sacrifice. We look to the Father for his will to be done and not our will to be done. And he lifts us up in due time. Not for our glory, but for his glory God gives Jesus the name that is above every name, that at the name, the very name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. This is what the train, the engine of the mind of Christ, how it leads the rest of our thinking. This is the destination. It's always of self-denial. It's always of not looking from within, but looking upward to the Father and his will. And it's always for the Father lifting us up in due time, not for our glory, but as a city set on a hill, a light for others to see to bring glory to God. You have not been given a spirit of fear. 
For those of you who follow Jesus today, that is not the gift of God to you. God did not design you to live and to think in fear. It is not, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's not six steps to a better you. Christianity is not a behavior modification program or something to be added to all the stuff that you're doing for yourself. Christianity, the faith that God gives to us, is not, I think I can, I think I can. It's the spirit, the power, and the love, and the very mind of Christ. Power, love, sound mind. The engine of the mind of Jesus To put it more plainly, it's not, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. It's I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. To Christ be the glory today. Let's pray together. Hear the scriptures one more time. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Father, give us the wisdom today to know what you're speaking to us. And would you give us the courage to leave this place and obey. In Jesus' name, amen.